Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Hello and welcome to Commons People Live with me, Owen Bennett. We are joined today by Labour MP Jess Phillips. Can we go a round of applause, please? Thank you. Thank you. Uh, before we start putting questions to Jess, let's take a little look at a video blog she made for us to mark International Women's Day. When I talk about the representation of women in politics, people tell me that it's feminism for the middle classes. I would point them to the words of Leyma Gabawi, the Nobel Peace Prize winner from Liberia, who won her prize for working with some of the most exploited and poorest women in the world. When asked what would make a difference to women in the world, she said more women in power. And you can see more of that video blog on huffingtonpost.co.uk. And if you are watching this on Facebook now, please make sure you put your comments and questions in the comments section and we will get to some of them. Let's kick off with Jess. Thank you very much for joining us, Jess. Thank you to the audience for coming down as well. Um, you're here because it's National Women's Day and you are now regarded as, I think, the top feminist in the world? Uh, I Is think the world. Pretty much where you are? Uh, yeah, uh, I, think, I think so. <laughs> Um, but you also need to promote your book, Jess Phillips, Every Woman, which is uh, a great read. Uh, it, is, it is like having a conversation with Jess Phillips, if I can put it like that. The way that you write it is very much like you're talking to someone uh, in the pub. Um, and just leading on from there, one of the things you say in the book is you don't think Labour is ready for a female leader. And I just read that and I thought that was quite, quite depressing. So why do you think that? Well, I mean, I think that the Labour Party just needs to have a word with itself, basically, and um, I th we just have never had one. And that, that sort of constant sort of depressing fact just weighs you down sometimes and you just start to think, oh, maybe we'll never have one. But, I mean, I think that what I'm saying in the book is it just doesn't feel like the Labour Party is ready right at that moment I was writing it, and I think I feel a little bit more positive about it now. Why do you feel more positive now, then? Has something changed in the past...? I mean, you must have written that book, what, the past couple of months? Uh, I think that I was probably just having a bad day and was cross at the Labour Party. <laughs> I tend to write isn't when that, I'm really that's angry. That's every day, though, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> I'm angry about something every day, and I find that if I'm writing, that's why whenever I write for the Huffington Post, it's because it's the middle of the night and I've woken up cross about something and I feel that I have to write it down. Um, and at the time that I was writing it, we were going through the leadership election um, of um, the, the second leadership election between Jeremy Corbyn um, and Owen Smith. And, you know, it's no wonder that I felt like that at that time when, once again, the only people I had to choose from were two men. Um, but it wasn't like that, though, initially, because Angela Eagle, of course, put her name forward and wasn't chosen by the Parliamentary Labour Party right. to face Jeremy Corbyn. Why was that? Why? Because she went over. She went over the first. Yeah, yeah, she declared yeah. her name first. So, why? Why well, was she not selected? Well, I nominated Angela, and I was happy to support her. Um, and I, I can't answer the question as to why other people didn't feel that she was the right person because I did think that she was the right person. Um, but it's just it. There's a systematic sexism in the Labour Party. 
Do you think it's systematically sexist? Do you think it's, do you think it's sort of kind of institutional sexism in the Labour Party? Only, uh, only as much as there is in every single political party. Political parties are quite old-fashioned institutions, and they, they, work, they move in quite an old-fashioned world. And when people close their eyes and think about a statesman, they think about a man. And Not the Labour Party... They've, they've done their second female prime minister. They, they so are, but they can't get as many women into Parliament, can they? They're rubbish at the body counts. Less than less than 20% of their MPs are women. Um, so I'm not going to let them rest on their laurels either. They're the thing that's dragging us back from having a 50-50 Parliament. Um, but, yeah, I think it's, it's, it's still a man's world. Politics is still a man's world. And... The, the, the fact that no woman was elected on the day that Jeremy Corbyn became the leader the first time, um, so the London mayor was a man, although he's turned into a cracking feminist, doesn't he? God love him. Um, and... <laughs> you might say that you started off as a cracking feminist. <laughs> oh, yeah, I'm sure he was. I just, you know, it wasn't being thrown in my face as much before he was the mayor of London. Um, and Tom Watson was the deputy. There was a mayoral election in Bristol. It was just, you know, men everywhere. And I think you brought this up with Jeremy Corbyn when he first became leader of the first PLP. I did. Which I think precipitated uh, a rather fruity exchange with Diane Abbott. Yes, it did. I don't That's know if we can repeat well the, the actual reported. word that you, that you used, but you did tell Diane Abbott, I think, to, uh, to F off, basically, didn't yeah, you? Yeah, to do one, yeah, basically. And what, and what, and what, uh, and what provoked that... Just because, I mean, I was really, really upset. I felt like on that day, and what I stood up and said was genuinely from my heart, uh, and I was very, very sort of bereft, that I felt like uh, the Labour Party wasn't for people like me on that day. And when then all the top jobs were given to men, it just was like... Really, this? This again? I've had this feeling the second day and this one weekend. So I was upset. And when I stood up to speak to him, that was the first time I'd ever spoken in a parliamentary Labour Party. I was nervous. I was frightened. It isn't the easiest thing to do to stand in front of all of your colleagues and make sort of a feminist rallying cry. Um, and so I was like, you know, I was tense. And then when I went over to speak to Jeremy Corbyn afterwards... To try and be like, you know, I'm, I'm just want to, this to be better. I wasn't being, we weren't, it wasn't adversarial at all between me and Jeremy at that point. And then just to have someone come and basically tell you to shut up and that you shouldn't be saying those things. I mean, she, she caught the wrong end of my passion. <laughs> That's more anything, I suppose. In, in a future leadership election, I'm not mm -hmm. saying there'll be one imminently, do you think that the, the people in the party like yourself, other sort of strong women, I think of like Alison McGovern, oh, Caroline yeah, Flint, that. Stella Creasy, do you think you guys should all get together and just decide that one of you should stand and, and get the nomination so that there is, on the slate, a real strong female candidate for Labour leader? Absolutely, I think that. I think that, that the, we have to. I think if we, if we have another leadership election and it isn't, a woman that goes through, I think that the Labour Party does potentially start to look a bit stupid, especially being as the Tories are on their second female leader. Um, and so I think that we definitely have to do that. It has to be organised and it has to be done through with sorority. We've got a question here in the audience. Where are we looking at? Hello. Hi, yeah, so um, with the recent Trump uh, and versus Hillary, unfortunately, sorry mm. to remind you, um, <laughs> how much do you think that misogyny had to play in that um, in, as opposed to politics? Um, and how does that relate back to the UK? You know, because obviously Theresa May is a female, mm. but we don't like her politics in the <laughs> Labour Party. Mm -hmm. So where do you draw the line in, you know, voting for a woman because she's a woman and 
their politics, um, do you think, and back to Hillary, do you think she lost because of misogyny or because of people weren't convinced on her politics? Well, I mean, I don't, um, I don't think that people didn't vote for Hillary just because she was a woman. I think that, that will be the case in, in some instances. Um, but um, I still think that in America it was difficult for them to see her as the leader of their country because she's a woman. Um, but I think that there was a whole heap of other things going on about the, the, the establishment line was one that worked, worked very, very well. Um, and it's funny that she was seen as being the establishment when, you know, she is a woman who has fought for... Uh, minority groups, non-establishment types, her whole career, uh, and he has looked after himself. Thank you very much with his gold taps. Um, but the issue here is I don't think that the public have a problem. I don't think that the public don't want to vote for a woman. I've knocked doors my whole life and never has anyone ever made any suggestion that they wouldn't vote for me because I was a woman. I mean, they've said many other things, <laughs> reasons why they wouldn't vote for me um, or would. Um, but I don't think that the public has a problem in electing women. I think it's the institutions that are the, the blockers, whether that's the Republican Party in... Uh, in, in America, the Democrats, although they've selected her, and the, the party institutions here. Um, so it, it's just, whether it's misogyny, I don't think the public has a misogyny problem. I think the institution has a misogyny problem. We've got another, another question. Uh, sorry, sorry, go ahead. About um, ethnic minority women within politics, because um, as an ethnic minority woman, I feel like there's almost two hurdles that I would need to get ahead of. And for me, it's not just about politics. I'm a, sci I'm a scientist. I do chemistry at university, so it's um, sort of women within STEM, but also ethnic ethnic women within STEM. So it's about intersectional feminism. What do you think about that and the representation in general? Thanks. I think it's, you're absolutely right. There is two hurdles for you to jump through um, in. Uh, uh, Many other intersectionalities, I think disabled women are probably some of the most discriminated against. Disabled people don't have a place in the House of Commons really at the moment, and that is a disgrace. Um, but I think that um, the intersectionality in all things... Um, unfortunately, the debate around that now just makes everybody feel like, you know, the, sort of, what's the, the classic black one-legged lesbian, um, where it's becoming something that people are using really, really badly against the idea of any sort of liberal intervention to try and get more BME women into STEM. I mean, fair play to you for doing science because, you know, there aren't enough of you. And I'm, every, every girl child I meet, I'm like, do science. Every girl need, child. Every girl child. <laughs> like, I go around the country, like, speaking to girl children. Um, I don't do that. I've got two boy children, um, but and I try and get them to be carers. Um, but the, um, the the fact of the matter is, is that there, it is much harder in legislation at the moment to have a structural solution for around BME and issues of uh, black and uh, of um, disability because it's easier to put in structural solutions for just women because we are actually the majority of the people. So it's easy to say have a quota for that that is reasonable to the thing, whereas it's, oh, you get into terrible sort of trouble when people start trying to put in quotas because we've got 10% gay people, we want 4% this. So how this, do you that. deal with it? I mean, do you, all women's shortlist famously helped boost the number of uh, women in Parliament, thinking particularly about 1997 when we saw a huge upsurge, certainly the Labour MPs. Um, we've now finally got more women in Parliament. We've now got more women MPs now than there have been... Let me, 
Let me get yes. start, start again. You know what I'm trying to say, there's don't you? There's more women in Parliament... No, there's as many women in Parliament today... Yes. ..as... No, there have been as many women in Parliament today as there are men who sit in that's, there today. That's what I wanted to say. So how do you tackle that, though? Is it through all women's shortlist? Do you then break the shortlist down even further? So you look at people from different ethnic minority backgrounds, different class backgrounds. I mean, how, how, do you, do you support all those things? I absolutely support a quota system. I think it makes the place more meritocratic, not less meritocratic. Um, and um, I think that you, you would have to be in, in line with the area that you're going to represent. And parliamentary democracy allows for that. So if you are a... Um, if you're going to be a parliamentarian in a seat that has 50% African-Caribbean people, then you would have to say that 50% of the, the shortlist has to be people who are African-Caribbean. And the Labour Party is more than happy to do those sorts of... You know, the, the, the Labour Party is an interventionist, whereas the Tories will wait for stuff to trickle down on us and we're all like this, waiting, and it never, ever arrives. Um, we have to intervene. We have to have quotas and things for those things because just waiting is all right for the people who aren't waiting for it to fall on them. It's not all right for people like us. Uh, next question. Who? Uh, so this lady here. What's your name? What is it? Billy. Billy. Hi. Billy. Sorry. Hi. Go ahead. Hello. Um, at the beginning, we were talking about some of the problems you've had with Jeremy Corbyn and his cabinet, and one of my favourite lines of yours is, "I'm not going to stab Jeremy in the back. I'll stab him in the front." <laughs> Has there been a time? <laughs> Is there a time you've thought about getting the knife out during his leadership? I mean, it's, it, it's the whole thing that I was trying to say, probably ineloquently, we all make mistakes, um, was that I won't say it behind his back. I won't brief people like Owen uh, secretly by text. I, secretly if I anyway. think something, I will say it. <laughs> And I will say it to his face, and I will say it... It makes me sound like, oh, I'll say it to your face. Uh, like I'm some sort of like person on Big Brother. How does he react when you do that? Because he's famously very calm, very polite. Does he ever react? Does he ever, does he ever actually get I mean, angry? Or? I mean, to be fair to him, to be perfectly fair to him, he doesn't ever be like, you can't say that to me, or anything like that, or just be like, do one, Jess, you're going on again. He never, he never behaves like that. I can imagine. Uh, yeah, I mean, that would be... Catastrophic, um, but he he will try and take on board some of the things that we you know I demanded that we had a fifty fifty cabinet, we have a fifty fifty cabinet, so you know I will say those things to him up front, um, and and hope that that makes him change. But I won't just go around just being like you know oh Jeremy Corbyn this behind his back. I'll say if I have a problem, and that doesn't go just for Jeremy Corbyn. That goes for pretty much everybody, including Dan Abbott. Um, <laughs> Now, obviously, Jess Phillips, you represent a certain strand in the Commons now, and it's fair to say that there is a negative to you, there's, a, there's an opposite to you by the name of Philip Davis, isn't there? There is. Uh, yeah. Now, Philip Davis, today's International Women's Day, which famously is the day Philip Davis says when's International Men's Day, and we all know when that is. Um, <laughs> you talk about Philip Davis in your book, though. You give him a little name <laughs> check. You, you reference his CV, don't you? And you try and sort of paint out the fact that Philip Davis has not had to achieve as much as women to get into Parliament, and it was working as the for 10 years of customer services, but he sounds to me just like a normal guy. And what's wrong with having that kind of background in Parliament? A absolutely nothing wrong with having that kind of background in Parliament. But if you're going to stand up and be the lightning rod of who should and shouldn't be there based on certain things, you should expect to take it back. And uh, Philip Davis, to be fair to him, he, he's, he doesn't mind when, you know, we're... we're we have our gentle ribbing sessions. He can take, he can take it. Um, but the, the fact of the matter is, is that 
Philip Davies doesn't believe that people like me should be there because of, we were selected on all women shortlists. He doesn't believe that all women shortlists get the best candidates. He thinks it's unfair to the men's. Um, and so, you know, it's only right then is, that I would point to, out... Is it unfair to the men, but it doesn't matter that it's unfair to men? Is that, is that, is that the point that you, tried, that you uh, would come back with? Well, the... The whole world is set up to be unfair to women, so positive discrimination has existed since time immemorial. If you're a middle-class white man, is the truth. Looking at me quite Are you middle-class? Uh, you're a borderline. I went to a comprehensive school, right, so I think I can claim a little bit of work. I did once work on a building site for four days, but I fell through the ceiling. <laughs> So, oh, not out. even fit for a building. No, so. I fell through the ceiling, and the reason why I fell through was because it started to rain, and I was rushing to rescue my espresso coffee, which was funny, <laughs> and I just fell through the ceiling. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. But I'm going to, if I ever go into politics, I'm talking about that story. Four days in the building site. Absolutely. Years. Absolutely. Um, but uh, so it's, it, we have a structural problem in society, and only a structural solution will work. So it, if people feel that an all-women shortlist is unfair, they have to also assume then that they, they think that women aren't the best people for the job. People who say, well, it's got to be the best people for the job, not just women. I'm like, oh, you know that women are people as well. It is a shocking view, but we but are people too. I have three sisters and no brothers, so I'm well aware that women <laughs> are people. I have three brothers and no sisters. Maybe that's why we get on. One of the things we're doing at Huffington Post this month is something called All Women Everywhere, and one of my colleagues is asking lots of women in, in various professions, when was the last time they were reminded that it was a man's world? And I'd just like to put that question to you, Jess. When was the last time you were reminded that it's a man's world? Um, most days when you have to queue for a public toilet, I think every woman is reminded that it is a man's world because we have to queue for ages. I don't know what some of those women are doing in there. They're taking ages. Um, literally ages. Um, but the, the, in my working life, the most stark uh, example I can think of very recently was last week, Jeremy Hunt had lost 700,000 pieces of NHS literature. Uh, so people's cancer results and really, you know, important life changing things so you know he was the one who had basically been a dullard he was rubbish at his job and that would have been rubbish you are rubbish you're probably not the best person for your job because you lost all that and in the statement in the house of commons every single woman who stood up to ask him a question he patronised them. And the most stark was the new Liberal Democrat woman. She's the only woman. She's a new MP. This is a person we should be encouraging to get up and speak in the House of Commons. And he basically turned to her when she asked her question and was like, oh, you've not been to one of these statements before, sort of thing. Oh, if you just listened and genuinely spoke down to her as if he was the bigger man and she didn't know what she was doing... But he was the one who lost all the pieces of paper. He can't put stamps on his letters. So he doesn't have any right to patronise her, her who took a Tory seat. Um, and so you that... You talk about this in your book, actually, about being shushed a lot in, uh, in Parliament. Yeah. And yesterday, when we were waiting for the debate on housing benefits being cut for 18 and 21-year-olds, um, there was a moment when, I think it was justice questions... And someone said, oh, you don't need to worry yourself about that. Yeah, Oliver Hill yeah. said to... I think and I saw Kate you Williams. in there, like, 
and I thought, oh my God, Jess is going <laughs> to leap over the green benches and we're going to get a blow. I really needed to be called, though. I needed the speaker to call me, so I thought, I'm going to have to try and behave as best I can. Um, so that he, but that was awful. Yeah, it's just, oh, don't worry yourself, sweetheart, about it. Basically, it's just awful, and that stuff happens all the time. And people shush me all the time. Yeah, shh, shh, that they will go like that to you across the chamber. Shh. I mean, nothing makes you want to just be like. <laughs> like what? <laughs> yeah. uh, have we got any more questions? Oh, we've got, yeah, because of course, if you're watching on Facebook, you can. Oh, course, God, oh, that's sorry. my phone's ringing. Jess is actually getting a question being right into an It's my son. Her. I'm not going to answer it. I reckon he's watching. <laughs> uh, we've got some questions from Facebook, so go ahead, Daniel. Hi, Jess. Um, we've got Jim Callan who asks Do you believe that the MPs deserve the pay rise of just over a grand? I didn't even, you know, I didn't know we were getting one until I read about it in the newspaper. Is that because you're so rich now that you don't even notice <laughs> no, the money just, that comes into your account? Know, you it's selling one, is it the book? It's, yeah. not, it's not like you have a line manager like I used to. Like, you know, I don't, we don't have pay negotiations like I used to have when I had a job. Um, but, um, you know, I, don't, I think that at the moment there is a public sector pay freeze and until everybody is getting that pay rise, then I don't know... I don't think that MPs should be because nurses and and um, other public sector workers in my constituency are they're basically having a depression in their wages. So no, I don't think we should get it. Any more questions from Facebook that you want to flag up, or if not, just oh, we've got a question here at the front. Sorry, go ahead. Uh, hi. Um, so obviously, there's just been the elections in Northern Ireland, which have kind mm, of yeah, yeah, mulched. Yeah. Um, and. So with the political situation in such state, like at the moment chaos, but for a very long period stasis, like how do you think women's rights and LGBT rights can progress? Because they're really not not so hot at the moment. And how can like, because I think the kind of the kind of level of not greatness in so women's rights in Northern Ireland is basically would have consensus with Westminster parties, hopefully. So how can it, I, I think it does largely have consensus with Westminster parties. The L, certainly the um, abortion rights for women, well, um, sort of reproductive rights for women, and um, the rights of LGBT people to marry um, definitely has consensus. And I think that there is it is a terrible failing in UK politics at the moment that it's sort of just allowed to carry on. Uh, that Northern Ireland has a different system to others. And at the moment, we are taking part in a big thing in that, in fact, the British government pushed for, under David Cameron, um, of the global goals, the uh, UN global goals. And goal five is all about gender equality. And the UK will not be able to reach goal five by 2030 unless we have reproductive rights for women in this country. And at the moment, we wouldn't pass because of Northern Ireland. So this is a question that is going to have to be answered for the UK to get anywhere near meeting its, it, its obligations. I think that, I mean, for my two pennies worth, obviously I think that people in Northern Ireland, like the people in Northern Ireland, largely think that they should be able to marry uh, whoever they want and that women should have access to free and safe abortions. But any, more, any more questions? Hi. Um, so you were speaking earlier about your frustration at the lack of women in positions of power within the Labour Party. And one of the reasons I joined the Labour Party is, for me, it's the party of equality. Mm-hmm. So if we are the party of equality and we represent ourselves as being that party, then how, 
you know, how can we encourage younger women to engage in politics if even the Equality Party isn't, doesn't have an equal cabinet? And also when women look at politics and they watch, you know, House of Common debates, they see women being patronised by their fellow MPs in Parliament. And it's so important to have that female representation. But how do we get especially young women to be engaged if it's such a hostile environment? I mean, I don't want to present that it is such a hostile... I mean, because when Jeremy Hunt does that, it doesn't stop us being like, whatever, mate. Uh, you know, it's not, it's not the worst environment I've ever worked in. I mean, I worked in pubs. It was considerably more hostile. Birmingham uh, <laughs> uh, uh, less than the Birmingham fashion. Hey, I remember hearing you on Question Time. So <laughs> I have no lessons from you. Uh, I'm, t I'm worried that my phone's going to ring again um, and that my son is locked out of the house. Um, the, the issue is what we have to do is we all in the Labour Party, we have to encourage brilliant, bright women that we meet to step forward. And I spend my whole life going, oh, you sound just about half right. Do you want to be the candidate for something? Um, and we have to act to encourage them. But also, we need to make sure that the women in the Women's Parliamentary Labour Party are out there. They are the voice that we see when we turn on our televisions, that whilst the Tories might have a woman leader, that actually there are brilliant, bright women in the Labour Party. And so when the, you know, the, the leadership people are looking around for people to go on things and do things and be the face of the Labour Party, they, they absolutely should be looking no further than... The, than the women in the Labour Party, both grassroots and um, higher up the chain. It's about marketing, the basic marketing. And we have a story to tell. We are the party of equality. We are the party who are going to be better. Just, you know, just because the Tories have had a woman leader doesn't mean they're any better for women outside. They're no better. And we have to, we have to constantly remind Theresa May of that, that this isn't about this building, it is about the women outside. And, and the Labour Party has an amazing track record on all of the things that it did for women, for LGBT people, for black and minority ethnic people, for working people, for poorer people, for disabled people. So we have to, we have to focus on that and get that out there. But the, we will only get those people in high profiles. And so if the Labour Party takes seriously the idea that we need to have women in leadership positions as well. It's about women in leadership positions. Obviously, the inevitable question I'm going to ask you is, would you ever stand for deputy... No, would you ever stand for leader? <laughs> would, you ever stand for, uh, would, you ever stand for, would you ever stand for leader one day? Um, I, I would, and I say that I would because I think I am duty-bound to not be that sort of shrinking flower that goes... Oh, you know, I just couldn't possibly. Um, because I think that actually one of the problems that women have in stepping forward is women are much less willing to verbalise and visualise their own ambition. And I want women to stop doing themselves down and want them to be able to say, yeah, you're damn right I should be the boss of this company. You're damn right I should, you know, get this promotion. So, yes, I wouldn't do anything. I wouldn't work anywhere if I wasn't interested in trying to get to the very top. Um, so maybe Harman one day I'd stop. It was a temporary leader on two occasions, said that she she regrets that she never pushed herself forward. And yeah, she I felt, it. <laughs> but yeah, because I know you're a big fan of hers, and she felt that, that that men often push themselves forward for jobs they're not suitable for, whereas women oh, suitable for very are very suitable for jobs hold yeah. themselves back. Is there any other women in the party you think you know you'd like to see throwing the hat into the ring? Oh gosh, there's so many. 
I mean, the, the, there are absolutely brilliant women in uh, Parliament. I mean, I think that over the whole refugee um, issue, Yvette Cooper has completely and utterly come into her own and cast aside the issues that I think she potentially faced, uh, the sort of in, inhuman issues she, she was, had thrown at her when she was up against Corbyn the first what time. What do you think slightly so, so well, I like, not It's not even emotionless. It's the, the, the old establishment trick that people who are actually the establishment try and play um, that you know that he would he would just say anything and she was she was more of a stateswoman but I like think Hillary that Clinton against Trump, then, exactly the same hair. exactly the same and I think but I think that through all of the Dubs amendment and all the stuff around that Yvette has really shown passion and metal and so she is a person who I would definitely want to see have a, have another go I think Alison McGovern is there is nobody who I would go to to talk about the economy before I would go to Alison McGovern. She would shame almost all of the Tories on their knowledge of the Treasury and uh, the economy, and she's just absolutely brilliant and personable. Stella Creasy, as you said, is amazing. Caroline Flint is hard as nails. She makes me look like a softie. She's so hard. I mean, you know, I wouldn't cross Caroline Flint. So there are, there are millions of brilliant women out there in the Labour movement. But in the House of Commons, there are, you know, there's some real, really amazing women who it's just... I can only blame the structures of the party in the past that they never, they've never risen to the top. I think we've got another question from uh, Facebook Live I here. I fear Danielle. things from yes. social media. Um, Ali asks, are you ashamed of Labour's lack of opposition to Brexit? Are you ashamed, are you ashamed of... Sorry, go on. <laughs> are you ashamed of Labour's lack of opposition to Brexit? I, I wouldn't say I was ashamed. Dispirited. Um, Your constituency I, voted to leave, My constituency voted to leave, and I think that lots of um, politicians sort of were always going to go with what their constituents said. It's very difficult normally because you don't normally know what your constituents think you normally have, like a sort of uh, a pressure group and pressure of different lobbying groups, but it still never gives you the full sense. So you actually know what your constituents think in the, in the Brexit thing. I think that the Labour Party, the, and certainly throughout the campaign, no, nobody was telling the story, and politics is about storytelling, and people have forgotten that. And the Remain side failed to tell the story, and the Labour Party is culpable in that as well. Um, so I feel I wish we could go back and a different slump could have been taken and a different argument could have been made because people weren't interested in how many pounds were going to be knocked off their weekly shop. They wanted to feel control and feel something in their hearts, and I think we all failed to but get that across. What does Labour have to do now? Because... It there's a position, isn't there, where two-thirds of Labour voters apparently voted Remain, the mm. two-thirds of Labour constituencies voted Leave. Mm. You've got to marry up very different oh, it's a, views. It's, a, it's an impossible task, is the truth, so that's why I don't feel shame on behalf of the, the, the Labour Party and the leadership of the Labour Party. If you were a leader, would you have done what Jeremy Corbyn did? I, was... it's a, that is an almost impossible question to answer, because I don't know what I would have done. I, I, do, I just don't know. But I think that had somebody, a really strong leader of the Labour Party been standing there and making a really and consistent case for the, a softer Brexit, I would have found it easier to vote differently to my constituents. Didn't your husband say, don't come home tonight <laughs> if you trigger Article 50? Is that what he said? <laughs> he, he, 
said that uh, uh, many moons before the, I actually had to vote on it. He was like, I'm just not sure how I'm going to feel about you if you vote to trigger Article 50. And actually, on the day when I did, he said, I think you've done the right thing because it's what the people here voted for. <laughs> yeah, you pay the rent, love. Um, but, um, yeah, I think that he... It was an, it's an impossible situation. And I think that... The Labour Party will suffer because of our position uh, between leave and remain. But ultimately, it, I know how I would have felt if remain had won by 52% and leave a load of Tory leave MPs had still pushed through us leaving the European Union. I would have taken to the streets with an actual pitchfork and a burning torch. I, you know, if, if, if those people who we already distrust, the country already distrusts and already feels like they don't have control, had gone, oh, that's nice that you said that. That's nice. Oh, that was, that was interesting. We're going to do what we're going to do anyway. I think that would have been awful. And so I, I felt that I couldn't be part of that. And I got so sick of people sneering at people in my constituency or people who voted leave. The level of snobbery that I have encountered has been awful. It is awful. And they're not stupid. They just think differently to you. Uh, one final question, I think. Where am I? Oh, Hi. Um, recently, my MP tweeted a photo of um, him with local councillors who all happen to be um, retired white men. Mm -hmm. um, I was obviously very disappointed with that and emailed him and was like, you know, this isn't acceptable. Um, and he responded with, oh, we do have one woman. Unfortunately, she wasn't there. Um, but I have to turn it on its head and ask why women aren't standing. Um, so... Who was, <laughs> so who, who was the MP? Oh, <laughs> Hugh Merriman. <laughs> Hugh Merriman. Yeah. Um, so, basically, what do you think we can do to challenge the institutionalised sexism that we see when women do stand and don't get, you know, the correct, perhaps, support? Yeah. Um, as well as encouraging women to stand, because I don't think that's there particularly either. Um, I think the, um, the, the issue is, of course, is that there is always women. If you have an all-women shortlist, you have loads of women come forward. We're half the population. Swing a cat. There's plenty of us. We're easy to find. Um, but the, the, it's utter rubbish that not, no women come forward. Absolutely utter rubbish. What they mean is that, that the, the pipeline that they have through local councils, through their local lodges and through local constituency Labour parties doesn't breed an environment where women want to take part. And that's what's got to change. And so we have to just stop doing things the way that we did them. Why do we have to have endless meetings to talk about motions on this or talk... What, why, where is it written that that is the way that democracy works? It's utterly rubbish and it's democracy for people who look the same, as you've pointed out. But anyone who says, oh, not enough women put themselves forward, is just lying. Well, thank you very much. <laughs> All too brief. Thank you. Round of applause for Jess, actually, for coming down. Last questions. Very busy. Thank you very much, Jess. Uh, thank you very much for watching on, uh, on Facebook Live. Um, please make sure you sign up for the podcast, Commons People. You sign up to Paul Wars Morning email as well, which comes out every day. It tells you all you need to know about... Jess is nodding, she reads it. All you need to know about politics. And join us next month for another Commons People. Thanks very much.